that. Yes. Matthew, the third chapter. Now we are uh, doing the, mes the message of Jesus. We're looking at Matthew. We're going to go through the whole book of Matthew together. Uh, we're starting at chapter three because we just actually did chapter one and two. You probably weren't aware of it, but at Christmas, that's what we did was chapter one and two, talking about the Christmas story. So we already did that. And chapter three is the first time we actually hear Jesus say something. So we'll start there, and we're going to go through. Why are we doing this? Because Jesus said we need to go into the whole world and preach the gospel. Te and this is what he said, teaching people to obey what I have commanded you. Now, you've heard me moan and groan about this ad nauseum, and I'll probably keep doing it until I'm a very, very old man. But I just, I'm so grieved by the Christian culture in America today because we have dumbed down Christianity. To the point where they think the message of Jesus is just believe. Just believe. Ha, ha, ha. That's all you got to do. Well, you got to believe. I understand that. It starts with believe. But it's not. He didn't say just go tell the world everybody to believe in me. You would think that's what Jesus said. Just tell them all believe in me. That's not what he said. He said you go tell them to believe and be baptized and obey everything I have told you. That part. That big honking part. We don't do much today. Most Christians, sadly, are totally unaware of what Jesus commanded. Very few people can give commands that Jesus said to do, and there's almost 50 of them. You know, we're going to look at these. This is how Jesus told us to live. That's what this is. We believe, and then we've got to do it. Okay? Now, people say, well, you're saying that you're saved by works. No, 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 no. The Bible says you're not saved by works. There's nothing you can do that will buy you salvation. I don't care how much money you give to the United Way or anything. There's nothing you can do that will buy God's forgiveness in your life. Okay? But if you truly believe, you will have good works, which we're going to see here in just a minute. They're tied together. You can't just think works have nothing to do with it. That's not what the Bible teaches. So let's start. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And here's his message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. What does the word repent mean? It means to turn away, stop doing what's wrong, and start doing what's right. This is the beginning message of Christianity, as we hear. The very first thing, repent, repent. We need, and then Jesus came and started saying the same thing. We need to repent. You just believing is not enough. You need to turn away from what we know is wrong and start doing the right things. This is part of the message. Now, Matthew says, this is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. See, in the Old Testament, they prophesied about the Messiah coming. The Messiah is coming. The Messiah coming. But they also said, there's going to be someone who comes before the Messiah who's going to get everything ready for the Messiah to come. So that not only were they waiting for the Messiah, but they're waiting for, you know, where's Act 1? You know, where's this guy? Who's this guy? They didn't know who it was. And Matthew says, this is the guy. And he quotes what Isaiah said about him. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, preparing the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Then he starts to describe John. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. From Dolce and Gabbana. <laughs> and his food was locusts and wild honey. He's an odd dude. That's why he's a hairy guy who eats bugs. Okay? And he lives in the middle of nowhere. He's out in the middle of nowhere, in the wilderness, dressed like a hairy man, eating bugs. And, and the Bible says, check this, people went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region 
of the Jordan. The whole nation went out to hear this guy. Now, I, the Bible says very little about John the Baptist. It's just kind of a curiosity. But who is this guy? And what was it that... Listen, most preachers have got to go to people to preach. Most people have to go to people to share. John is this weird, hairy, bug-eating guy in the middle of nowhere. He didn't go anywhere. But people are drawn to him. And they come by. Even Jesus went to the people, not John. He sat back and everybody came to him. What magnetism was going on, I have no idea. It couldn't have been because he was very warm and fuzzy, because he wasn't. He was in people's faces. He was virtually insulting people. He was the first fire and brimstone preacher, this guy. Telling everybody, you need to repent, you're going to go to hell. Whoa. All right. So they came confessing their sins and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. This new thing. First time we see it in the Bible. Baptism. Now, we don't know if God, I presume God told him to do this. I mean, there's no record. He just, he just starts baptizing people. And we do this to this day. Jesus was baptized. He told everyone who believes needs to be baptized. And this is what the, all these people came, drawn to hear this guy yell at them to stop it and stop sinning and stop disobeying God. And it just jerked the slack out of them. And it did. It prepared the entire nation for when Jesus came. Okay, it, it kind of got their hearts right. That's what, that was his calling. Uh, but he baptized them. Now, let me say this, and I know this freaks out some of y'all because you're different backgrounds and stuff, especially if you were in a more traditional church like Lutheran or Catholic or Presbyterian or whatever. But I know that these uh, groups, you know, baptize babies and stuff. But we don't do that here. The reason we don't do that here is because they didn't do it in the Bible. It wasn't until hundreds of years later in Christianity that the leaders decided, well, we should start baptizing his babies. They just made it up, okay? Now, they, you know, they will argue with me about it, but they, there's no place in the Bible. There's not a single time anywhere where anybody baptized an infant or even a child for that matter. Everybody who came to be baptized were either young, old, middle-aged, whatever, adults who came, they turned from their sins, they put their faith in God, and they were baptized. If since you have been an adult, you have not been baptized, and you were just baptized as a baby, I'm telling you, you need to be baptized. I know it makes some of y'all mad, but just get in line. All right? I'm going to tell you what the Bible says. You don't like it? Bring it up with them. You can explain it to Jesus someday. I just want to be in the room when you do it. I won't say a word, I promise. I just want to listen to you explain how you didn't have to do what Jesus said. Okay, anyway, moving on. Now, uh, it says, now when the, many of the Pharisees and Sadducees came, these were the religious leaders of the day. These were the oh, very spiritual, very highly respected men, very biblical scholars. You know. And they came now to, now they're drawn out to him like a moth to the candle flame out there. They're coming out to see John and they got out there, and John sees them and says, Welcome, welcome. It's so good to have you here. We hope you'll fill out the visitor's card this morning and put it in the offering as it goes by. No. No, he calls them a bunch of snakes. He insults them. These really hoity-toity guys come out, and he says to them, You brood of vipers! Ow! That's not very nice. You bunch of snakes! Now, the Bible says in Matthew that he said that to the religious people. Luke says he said it to everybody. 
That's a warm feeling, isn't it? John could not have had a book entitled How to Win Friends and Influence People. All right? He yells at him, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping of repentance. This is what I was talking about earlier. The message is, if you are a believer, prove it. Not by what you say, but by what you do. I have had it up to here with this version of Christianity. So I'm a Christian. I live like hell, but I'm a Christian. Really? I don't think so. Well, you can't say that. Yes, I just said it. Okay? You're a Christian? Prove it by what you do. Well, we're not saved by works. I didn't say you were. But if you're really saved, you'll have the works. This version of Christianity that you can get saved without works and now you don't have to have any works is false teaching. It is not true. And you can take it up with John and everybody else later. All right. And he said, don't think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. You know, we come from a very religious uh, tradition. Yes, sir. I was born a Christian. You know, I have a very holy grandpa. You know. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what kind of family you come from. I don't care what you were born as. I don't care how holy your uncles and aunts were. It doesn't mean jack squat as far as you're concerned. All of this boils down to your response to God. Not anybody else's response to God. It's up to you. Well, my mom and dad are good Christians. Well, good for them. How are you going to live this out? That's what this boils down to. It doesn't pass on. You've got to do it intentionally. He says, don't say I have Abraham as our father. I tell you that these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. Again, insulting them. You're a bunch of rocks. And then he says, the axe is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. He is a fire and brimstone kind of guy. He's out there yelling at people to knock it off. It eventually cost John his head because he was yelling at everybody. And then he saw Herod, King Herod. Everybody's scared to death of Herod. And he looks at Herod and tells him, you need to knock it off, you sinner. Well, that didn't go over well. And he arrested John and cut off his head. So anyway, John was very intense. Then he says this, look, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire, and even he's going to be <laughs> quite the fire and brimstone guy because he says of Jesus, his winnowing fork will be in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Very, very strong preaching. So now we don't know how long John did this. Now Luke tells us and informs us that John the Baptist is actually Jesus' cousin. Okay? All part of the family here. He's Jesus' cousin. Now Jesus is 30 years old. We do know that by the time he now shows up on the scene, which we're about to read. Now, has John been doing this for a year? Has he been doing it for five years? Has he been doing it for 10 years? We have no idea. My guess is he's probably been doing it for a while. Okay, that enough that people would hear about it, start coming by the thousands to hear him. Remember, they didn't have YouTube. People couldn't just see clips of John the Baptist. Well, this guy's cool. Let's go see him. All right. This all had to be done word of mouth. It had to spread slowly. My guess is that he was at this for a while. Finally, now, Jesus comes. Because whatever work John did to jerk the slack out of the people has now been accomplished. So Jesus can come and now complete the message. 
So Jesus comes from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him. Now listen to me. Oftentimes we read these things and, you know, we picture these guys with halos on their head and very soft-spoken. And, you know, think of John saying, no, it's, it's not you who should baptize me. I, 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 I shouldn't be baptized. You should be baptized. I need to be baptized by you. You know, he wasn't. He's arguing with Jesus. He's trying to deter him. He is a hairy bug-eating man. Highly opinionated man. He's not a quiet guy. When Jesus shows up, John, and he wants John to baptize him, he's trying to deter him. Stop him. Stop it. This is not right. He's arguing with Jesus. I need to be baptized by you. And you come to me? And Jesus has to say to him, let it be so. In other words, shut up. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented, this translation says. Others say he relented. Others say he suffered him. To, you know, he was fighting him, which brings me to the point I brought up a couple of weeks ago as we were getting ready for this. This whole idea of obeying. Obeying does not require agreement. And it does not require understanding. John disagreed with what Jesus said. John thought it was wrong. I need to be baptized by you. He thought it was wrong. He tried to stop him. He did not agree with it. Jesus said, just do it. And John obeyed. I'm stunned by how many people I talk to them and they're doing things that are clearly unbiblical. I'll say, you know, the Bible says you shouldn't do this. And they go, well, I know, but I, I think it's okay. Well, hallelujah. You know, I mean, seriously, who cares what you think? It's as if they don't think they have to obey if they don't agree. You know, your kids do this to you. You got kids and they, you tell them to do something and they say, well, I don't want to do it. Well, why do I have to do it? And then you reason with these creatures. <laughs> you reason with them. You're trying to intellectually explain your position to them. Seriously. They just need to do it. They don't have to understand it. They don't have to agree with it. They just need to do it. Well, I think this is stupid. Welcome to life. <laughs> Welcome to life, you teenagers, get a clue. And you parents quit freaking out over the teen attitude thing. They can't help it, they're possessed at this point. <laughs> so they'll be free eventually. But I know parents, they go crazy chasing the attitude. That attitude, that attitude just stopped me. Attitude, just stop. You're gonna wind up in a loony bin somewhere going <laughs> Who cares about the stupid attitude? Ignore it. All that matters is they do what you tell them to do. You don't have to explain it. You don't have to reason with them. You young people, get a life, okay? Well, I don't want to do it. Welcome to life. When you get a job and your boss tells you to do something stupid, anybody ever have that happen? Yeah? Anybody work for a moron around here? Yeah, don't you raise your hand down there. <laughs> You're going to hell now for that. You work for a moron, tells you to do something stupid, you just do it. Why? That's life. 
When you go out there and get a real job, you just do it. It's life. You don't have to agree with everything. People are not obligated to explain jack squat to you. You join the army. <laughs> They're not going to care what you think. Soldier, do this. Well, that's kind of dumb. They don't say that. <laughs> yes, sir, sir, yes, sir. Now they're thinking, what a moron, what a moron, what a moron. But they learn, you just do it. This is life. You teens who think you're in hell because you have the most terrible parents in the world. Ah! They're just preparing you for life. Okay? This is life. You can't tell me what to do in my room. <laughs> Listen to me. You don't have a room, okay? You don't have a room. It's not your room, okay? Unless you're paying rent. You don't have a room. <laughs> you can't just come into my room. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> Some of you parents are dumb enough to go along with it. You knock before you enter. It's their room. <laughs> oh, man. And our house is, how you doing? <laughs> they learn to behave themselves. Praise God. And I'm off the reservation now, but I can't stop. Do not. Any, I, I will beat you with a brick. <laughs> you do not let your teenage kids stay in their room with someone of the opposite sex. Amen. How can you be so stupid and still breathe? <laughs> Much less knock before you enter the room. Our kids were never, they, nobody, no, they never, no boy, girl, whatever, they never entered their room. They don't have a room. <sighs> All right, moving on. And Jesus decides, I mean, uh, John obeys, even though he doesn't agree. He thinks it's stupid. He baptizes Jesus. He serves Jesus. And as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And this is cool. This had to be cool. At that moment, heaven was open. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And they hear this voice from heaven. This has got to be cool. Okay. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. But it's got to sound like, you know, James Earl Jones. You know. <laughs> you know, like Darth Vader or somebody. You know what I'm saying? Because I got a Mickey Mouse voice now. This is my son whom I'm well pleased. That, it just doesn't feel the same. So this, this had to be cool. Very impressive. John served Jesus. And we're going to see and hear a lot about servanthood as we get into the New Testament. Jesus, very strong about serving. And let me share this with you about serving. At some level, serving is insulting to one's station in life. I mean, there's not too many things you can do in a church that's not insulting to who you are. It's just the way it is. You humble yourself. 
You might have an advanced degree. You might have a successful business and be worth lots of money. But when you come to the church, you serve. You say, no, of course, we're Americans. We don't want to serve. We don't like to serve. We tell our kids, get a good education, work hard, so you don't have to serve people. Only poor people wind up serving, or immigrants from Mexico wind up serving us, doing jobs nobody else wants to do. Fine outside the walls of the church. But when you get in the church, ah, 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 ah. we all have to learn to serve. You serve. You, you, you open doors for people. You hand out bulletins. You greet people as they come. You change some kids' poopy diaper back there. You, uh, you, you do things. This is, I mean, how much intelligence does it take to hand a communion tray? You know, all of it at some point is humiliating. And I got to ask you, do you serve? Are you doing anything? If you always come here and you just sit and you don't serve, shame on you. You've got to learn to serve. To give. And again, it's some of it's real challenging. It's not. I had somebody once in our church, they don't come here anymore so we can talk about them. <laughs> you know, these people in town, business and stuff like that. We, just, they, they say, we decided we want to serve in your church as an, as an elder in your church. Really? You want to walk in the door and serve at the top? I don't think so. No, 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 no. You change poopy diapers or something first. You know, of course, they don't come here anymore. Well, fine, that's their call. Well, that's not serving, coming where you, well, I need to do something worthy of my intelligence. There's not much worthy of your intelligence. That's why it's called serving. Now, I've been using this example this morning. He'll be mortified that I do that. I won't mention his name, but you all know who he is. Every Sunday, he comes early to church, ahead of his family. And while I'm finishing preaching in the first service, he pulls my car out, he starts it up, he warms it up, it's ready to go, so as soon as I'm done preaching in the 8.30 service, I walk out into a nice warm car, and then he drives me to the other campus where I preach, and while I'm preaching, he's waiting for me this morning. He actually went and had to put gas in my car, so I had to fuel up my car for me. So as soon as I was done, I'd come off, and by the time I come up, the car is warmed and waiting right by the corner, so I can just step into it and drive back here. And he drops me off at the front door and takes my coat and my keys, parks my car, puts it all in my thing, so I can walk in here and talk right as soon as Lathan is done and preach to you. All right, no, 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 don't clap. He'll really kill me. All right, he does this as a deal of service. He's a four-time Pro Bowl NFL player, okay? NFL Defensive Lineman of the Year. He's highly successful, highly respected in this community. He's three times my size and could squeeze me like a bug. <laughs> and he comes every Sunday and schleps me around as my personal chauffeur. You know what it's called? It's called serving. It's called humbling yourself. It's called being involved in the kingdom of God. Out there, you might be the greatest thing since sliced bread. In here, you need to learn the way to the top is going down. It's to serve. It's to do things that might be below our station in life. And we need to talk about it more. You know, I... 
I've been to churches lately that there are churches, there's servants everywhere. They serve. We're just the church. I mean, it's just mind-boggling. They've got people just standing around, just standing, waiting to see if you need anything. The whole time, you know, like, like, like when you go to England, you see these soldiers standing in front of, what is that? <laughs> Buckingham Palace. And you stand, hold on. <laughs> and you stand, right. <laughs> they just stand there. And if a pastor or somebody, somebody around the workers of the church says, Boy, you know, is there any coffee? I'll get it for you right away. And they go. I saw this, this couple like that down in Chicago this last weekend. And I, I looked at him and I said, I'm just curious. I said, what do you do for a living? He runs several successful restaurants in the Chicago area. Muchos chavos. Okay. What's he doing? His wife over here is, in case anybody needs anything. The whole time. Now, I'm not asking for that. I don't even, you know, I'm, I, I'm walking along and men are coming up behind me saying, Pastor, can I carry your, your iPad for you? Okay, it's kind of heavy. <laughs> you know. I mean, I'm not looking for I'd hate it actually if you guys did that to me. But this is an attitude of service. Not real glorifying. It's not real fancy. It's someone holding the door open so the choir can walk out without bumping in the door every five of there or the guy. I promise that church, they'd have somebody at that door and that door every Sunday. That's their job. That's what they do. That guy might be a very successful businessman in the community, but his job, I hold the door open for the choir on Sunday. Over here where we have the uh, key to get into the, the office where our workers get in and the women have to go searching through their bags and pull out their magnetic key to let them in. At these churches, I promise you, there's some dude standing at that door. The minute anybody comes, ding, they're opening it for them and they just walk in. It's an attitude of servanthood. Doors, children, everything. People in these churches, they are obsessed by looking for opportunities. And I'm telling you, it is a powerful environment to walk into. But it's not very fancy. It's not very glorifying. It's not very hoity-toity. It may not fit your station in life. But it's servanthood. Because Jesus said, if you will humble yourself, God will lift you up. If you walk around all hoity-toity, God will humble you. And listen to me. You don't want God humbling you. It's a bad day. And trust me, you walk around all hoity and toity, you'll have some days that won't be very pretty for you. It's God's way of knocking you down a few pegs. You don't want to do that. We need to learn to serve. Look, and here's how you, what pastor, what should I do? What should I do in the church? Find something that's really insulting for your station in life and that you really disgust you and sign up for that. Find something really below your station in life. Maybe it's holding a door from someone. Maybe it's filling communion cups in the background. And sign up for that. Why? It's called serving. And as we get into this and we start reading, watch how often Jesus talks about the need. The need for us to serve. He came and he served us. He Washed his disciples' feet. Feet. They were mortified. 
The only people who washed feet were the lowest of the low in that culture. The slaves, the people who had nothing when you walk in and they quit coming, they wash your feet so you could sit at the table because, you know, they're walking around in all the dust and the sandals and stuff like that. Jesus gets down and he starts wiping their feet. They freaked. We'll read about it. His disciples are yelling, are you out of your ever-loving mind? This is wrong. I disagree with this. He looked at him and said, listen, you don't let me do this. You can't be my disciple. <sighs> and he did it. It's called serving so that God can lift you up. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray as we study the gospel of Matthew, Lord, you'll help us to learn your words, see your teachings, see your attitude, see your example, your commands. Help us to be Christ followers, that we will embrace your examples, embrace your teachings, and be the kind of people you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.